Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure that you knew that my online knee course with Lenny Macrina is on sale for $200 off this week. If you want to learn exactly how to evaluate and treat the knee, you're going to love our comprehensive course where we cover our clinical examination, exercise progressions, and specific information on ACL, meniscus, patellofemoral, articular cartilage, osteoarthritis, and so much more. Plus, you can earn a ton of CEU credit. The course is on sale this week for $200 off. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about shoulder impingement and some of the factors that may go into nonspecific shoulder pain. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I am up here at Champion PT and Performance in Boston. We are here answering all your questions, anything related to physical therapy, sports performance, business, career advice type stuff. Any questions you have, head to MikeReynolds.com, click on that podcast link, and you can fill out the form and keep keep them coming we got we got a bunch in the queue always getting some good ones i think we got a really good one again today um let me see let me introduce the crew here again today um i still have to cross-reference if this is how the the uh recording comes out but anyway let's go this way we're gonna go oops it's a okay it's backwards okay <laughs> lenny lenny macrina dewesh podell whoa this is hard mike skidudo there it is Oh, wow. Dan Pope. All right. This is, if you're not watching the video, this is boring. Brain exercise. <laughs> yeah. D- Dave Tilly, Lisa Russell, we're all here answering your questions. Hopefully you saw that video. As you can see, I was screwing up the mirror image on zoom, but Lenny, who do we have for students today? We have some lovely students that we always have a champion. We have Katie stone who is just front and center right in there. Just uh, ready to ask the first question. Apparently we have in the middle back is Brendan Gates from Duke university blue devils and Jonathan Sandberg from the Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. This is it, right? This is Katie's week, right? She, I mean, she's establishing some dominance here, which I like, yeah. right? She's, she was kind of a little <laughs> lower on the on the pecking order and order of students, but now she's the vet, she's right? The, she's the alpha student. Right. Okay. All right. So, Katie, why don't you go ahead with the question, establish some dominance for us. Show us what you got. All right. We got Jackson from South Carolina. As a PT student, I'm currently finding it difficult to approach the broad phenomena of shoulder impingement. How do you guys go about assessing this issue, and what are the most common findings you see in a patient or athlete? Awesome. Good job, Katie. All right. So Jackson says, as a PT student, so I I get this one. This is pretty good. Shoulder impingement's gigantic, right? And I think that's a big point. And and what he says is, like, how how do you go about... How do you go about like getting it started, right? He's finding it difficult to even just start with shoulder impingement, right? So, and I think that makes sense. I think we have a lot of diagnoses that have these such broad terms that sometimes it's not helpful. Why don't we start with this? 
why don't I throw this at you guys and we'll see what we get for some answers. But why don't we start with this? What is shoulder impingement to you guys? And, you know, this is like one of those personal questions because I think the, the answer is not black and white, right? But if you have somebody that you would say has shoulder impingement, how would you even like define that? You know, we could have a whole separate topic if shoulder impingement is even the right term to use, like, and if we're even still using that. But why don't we talk about definition first before we talk about treating a little bit because maybe that will lead into that. So who wants to start with that? I mean, I'll kind of I'll kind of throw that out there. How do you define it? And do you think shoulder impingement is the right choice of terminology for somebody with this? Dan Pope, what do you think, buddy? I don't think, Dan I, I don't think this is, I don't know. I think this is a good opportunity to sound <laughs> stupid, um, get thrown on the bus a little bit. Um, yeah. So I guess uh, shoulder impingement is a little misleading just because we think that the rotator cuff can get irritated via some compressive mechanisms that could be coming from the acromion that could be coming from the glenoid, right? So we don't really know where that's coming from. It's different based on the person. Um, and the compressive issues could be leading to pathology or could be maybe some of the tensile loads the athlete's going through. So when you say shoulder impingement, at least to me, it sounds like you think those compressive forces are the main problem and you're trying to address those specifically, although they probably live together with other types of forces that let's say the tendons aren't handling well, and then you end up with pain. So do you think, Dan, you think it's not always compressive forces? Because shoulder impingement is quite a biomechanical term, right? It's impingement means like if you're taking the ball and socket joint, right, and you have your rotator cuff in your subacromial space, you're impinging the rotator cuff probably between the humeral head and the acromion, maybe the coracoid, maybe the coracoacromial ligament, whatever. But it's imp- it's implying impingement is the pathology. So you're saying compression might not be it. What else could it be, Dan? Yeah, I, I've went down a pretty big rabbit hole at one point trying to figure this stuff out, you know, um, because the studies are all over the place. So you have some studies that are done in cadavers. You have some studies that are done with MRI. You have some studies that are uh, under arthroscope, and surgical interventions, and they're trying to see if impingement is incurring and it changes from person to person. So a NEARS test, for example, may show no impingement whatsoever in one person and it'll show a ton of impingement in the next person. Um, so that's actually pretty challenging, I think, to figure out if you're getting impingement as a a primary pathology, you know, Uh, I apologize. I lost my train of thought. What was your original question? Well, so I, I I guess the question is if it's, if it's, if it's not always compressive, what else could it be? Okay. So I I think oftentimes your, your rotator cuff just working a lot when you're doing exercises for my population, they're in the gym, right? So if you're doing a bench press, your rotator cuff is working a lot. Um, and people tend to overdo pressing exercises, which are generally working the infra and the supra a bit more. And they end up with pain specifically with pressing usually. And I think oftentimes that's an overuse condition. So you're using that tendon a ton. And if you overuse a tendon, let's say a patellar tendon or Achilles tendon, it becomes painful and you can develop tendinopathy just because you're using it so much. So I think that that's probably one of the primary things occurring uh, if they're getting some increased compressive forces, let's say someone's snatching in their end range um, and they're getting more compressive forces, they may end up with pain simply because of the position and they're getting that compression. Whereas someone who's just doing a ton of bench press might not be getting those compressive forces, but they end up with a similar type of pain and just irritation of a, the same tissue, I guess. Right. And then if you look at like your clinical examination, you look at your special tests, the special tests are compressing. They're compressive based tests. But I like your point where sometimes it's, it's emulating the mechanism of injury, which might be 
compression, but sometimes you're just compressing an irritable tendon that's already irritable for some other reason. So yes, compression could annoy it, but that doesn't mean that's what caused it. So (laughs) I like that. I think that's a good point. Uh, Let me ask another question to to the group on impingement on this is, um, is, so is compression and is impingement normal? Right. And if, when I raise my arm up in the air right now, am I impinging normally? Right. And does anybody know what the, what the research shows on that a little bit? Well, I think it, I, I think so. I think so. I think the research does say that, that it does happen. Um, I don't know why exactly the tendon eventually breaks down because you're going to see the tendon is breaking down in areas where it does kind of, impinge on the acromion, <laughs> right. you know what right. I mean? And it's also a watershed zone, right? So there's not a good blood supply to the area. So as we age, uh, maybe it, it can't handle the forces that are being put through it because it's still compressing. So the term impingement, I know social media wants to throw it out because it's a scary term for people. But if you explain it correctly, it doesn't have to be scary, people. Like, come on. Like, it, you're still, there is a, a pinging type phenomenon that's probably occurring over time that is the reason, along with an overuse thing. So it's, it's, a, it's a combo of the two. So to just throw, throw the term out, fine. Well, we, we can call it, you know, nonspecific rotator cuff pathology. Whoa, now we have pathology oh. in our rotator cuff. Yeah. That's what if it's not the rotator cuff too? Right. I mean, what if it, what if, it what if it's a muscle? Yeah. Right. Biceps. It could be so many different things. So right, right now, I think the, the, the fancy term is nonspecific rotator cuff pathology, just like nonspecific low back pain um, is, is kind of the term. And, and, and I, again, I, I, we're just playing word, word vomit right now with, with some of our terms, some of our pathologies to not be so scary, but yeah, if, if we're going to, cha- I, I, I was in an online discussion about this too, but if we're going to change terminology, it has to simplify and clarify. Right. And right. I don't, I don't think we achieved either of those. No, goals definitely. With that it, one, it right? definitely <laughs> makes it, it makes it more vague, more general. And, and now it's up to us again to explain it. So it right. still comes back to us to explain it correctly. Now I, I completely agree. Some people, are going to explain it incorrectly and, and create this like create crazy scenario in somebody's shoulder where that's just going to create more pain. And, and we know all that definitely contributes to somebody's pain is, is being anxious about their injury. Um, but I, I mean, I think the normal therapist, the normal person that's coming in for PT is doing a good job helping people with uh, talking to them and talking through the pathology and, and doing, social media is going to pull out that 10% of the crazy stories that are, uh, that are out there and, and just true. Escal- escalated, you know? Right. Right. Dan, what were you thinking there? Did you have some? Yeah. Follow-up I'm sorry. There? I don't want to hijack. Uh, I just did like a, a hijack man. dive into impingement. Cause I'm trying I to, it. It. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's normal. And generally speaking, you're getting impingement, um, in what we consider the painful arc of motion, right? So when you raise your arms overhead, when you get around 90, there's more impingement. Uh, a lot of the research I read is that the the uh, zone or the painful arc is much lower than we tend to think. Um, so you know, traditionally, I guess it's somewhere between like, let's say 80 and like 110, or maybe a little bit higher or lower than that. It's probably a bit lower than that. And it's normal to get impingement. Everyone's going to have that. There's more compressive force on that tendon. Um, yeah. And that was the answer that I was trying to. 
so I and I appreciate yeah. that. I think in the normal Arthur kinematics of the shoulder, right? There's no it's not like you have empty space in your body, right? And it's just got all this room for the humeral head to move up and down, right? There's not a lot of empty space. So so yeah, when you move, yes, you impinge. But but this is where I think we run into some troubles with especially some of the the younger clinicians and students here is where they assume like, well, if every time I lift my arm I impinge, then that's not bad. And we have to be careful saying that's bad. Well let me throw this at you guys as a group. What if I have a tight inferior capsule? What if I have poor rotator cuff stability? What if I have excessive laxity in my joint and I can't stabilize and I get superior humeral head migration? What if that normal compression, let's make, let's make things up. Please don't annoy me on social media by responding to this. Let's say every time I lift my arm, there's 10 pounds of pressure on my rotator cuff, but my inferior capsule gets tight and now it's 15 pounds of pressure please don't comment on that. Uh, right. But like, like if, if it, like if that, if that happens, is that good? Is that bad? Are we building more resilience to the tissue? I don't know. I think this is where we have to be careful saying that impingement's normal because there's other ways that can inc- increase the compressive forces. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'll let us talk. <laughs> yeah. Dan's going to get worked out. What do you like, Dan? But I, I think to go back to the original question, this person, I think it was a student, wanted to know what we're looking for. We're looking for, looking for does, is pain making sense with, hmm. with the injury, right, and their function? First, I want to make sure, like, in my head, I'm thinking, is it a neck thing, right? I'm, somehow, is the pain, is there anything going down below the, the shoulder? Is it going down kind of below the uh, deltoid insertion? Is it going down to the elbow or the hand? That's a, a big red flag for like neck issues. Uh, is it not like a thoracic outlet type thing? Is it not um, a biceps issue or some kind of other uh, tenderness issue? But all that stuff in the shoulder doesn't matter. You're going to kind of treat it the same way, right? How, restore their mobility and work on their strength. So I think we get so caught up with the diagnosis that we tend to treat it the same way anyway, right? It's, it's going to be activity modification, slowly work, ramping up their volume, uh, restoring their 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 motion. If they have a lack of motion, like you said, an inferior capsule issue. So how do, can we do that? So self-range of motion, myofascial release, all those things, joint mobs, um, and then giving them a good program for their rotator cuff. And I think it's that simple. We don't have to get too bogged down with crazy terminology, but people are going to PT because they want to know why they hurt. So as much as we don't have to put a diagnosis on it, people want a diagnosis. I go to the doctor. I don't want to leave with a diagnosis of knee pain when I know I have knee pain. I just spent a ton of money to be told I have knee pain, but that's what happens, right? So up to us to try to do our best to get as tissue specific as possible, knowing, and that's what I explained to my people. It may not be, but it seems to be that way. And and this is what we can do to help you. You know, what if you saw the doctor and he said you had non-specific knee pain? Right, exactly. Would, right, exactly. Would that help? Would, would that help or irritate you more? You're <laughs> right. just like, well, no, it specifically hurts on right. my knee. I don't know. It would create, <laughs> it would create more, more anxiety for me. My pain would go up, right? <laughs> uh, and you know, it's I, you know, piggybacking off what Lenny said, I would say for me, I I have not said i mean sometimes i'll i'll use the phrase shoulder impingement but like i i'll just tell people right now it's like look here's what we know your shoulder is irritable right now the tissue in your shoulder is irritable and i say that quite a bit and it's hard to deny that right so it's irritable i showed you on a couple of these tests that i i can do a couple maneuvers that provoke it so it's irritable uh we still need to you know figure out why is it just workload is it your capacity of your body wasn't ready for it do you have some suboptimal things in your body that maybe increase the pressure like we talked about previously Obviously, all those sorts of things kind of put together. But I agree. I just kind of say like, look, you have an irritable shoulder. I think that's all that matters. And it's 
and, and you almost always blame it on workload, right? Or your body's ability to handle the workload more than to say like your problem is your bone or your chromium, right? Your problem is like your workload and stuff like that. So um, Mike, what do you got? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, as a as the youngest clinician in, in the crew, um, you know, kind of helping a PT student, I think a big part of this is having a standardized assessment for the shoulder that you use in a very specific order. Um, I think sometimes if you go and do a provocative special test early in the exam, it becomes a little bit more murky. So maybe saving those provocative, uh, you know, Nears, Hawkins, Kennedy impingement tests towards the end of the exam to kind of see if, you know, that is provocative and not trying to um, provoke pain and then test other things where it becomes a little more murky. I think that's where some PT students get in trouble with the, with the shoulder exam. Right. I like that. Yeah. Dave, what's Mike, up? What do you think, Dave? Mike said what I was kind of thinking already is I think, I think in the context of your order, your special tests and stuff like that, but also I think a lot of times students, there's so much literature on there on like what could be contributing to why the area is sensitive or overloaded, right? Thoracic spines, scapular mechanics, capsular stuff, soft tissue, strength, workloads. Like I think students un- uh, unfortunately sometimes just kind of get overwhelmed and they just start grasping at straws for random things they think could be part of the problem. And so something I've been trying to work with a lot of the students at Champion is like have three competitive diagnoses in your head, like labral A C joint and maybe something in the in the cuff and how are you going to prove to yourself with a systematic exam which one of those is the most probable to start with so like you know obviously have your local shoulder exam but then like okay i gotta check t-spine mobility i gotta check the neck like lenny said i gotta check some strength like you gotta make sure you have a very standardized like mike said reproducible the whole time so you're not just like swimming and special tests and random things to do yeah i like it and then i'm gonna make your life a lot easier jackson is i'm gonna say kind of what lenny said already here but Part of with me saying, hey, your shoulder is irritable, right, means that the true specific diagnosis, if we've ruled out things that are problematic, labral tear, right, like rotator cuff tear, those sort of like the, the big things, if we rule that out and we now have, what was it, nonspecific rotator cuff uh, pathosis? <laughs> pathosis, neurobiomechanical. It's been a, it's been a while since we pulled neurobiomechanical out there. Um, like if if you have that, I the reason why I'm comfortable with that diagnosis is because at that point in time, I've already made the decision on what my treatment approach is going to be, and in dialing it down. But if it's his if his supraspinatus, his biceps tendon, or his bursa, or whatever it may be, doesn't change my treatment paradigm at that point. So I, I kind of just kind of move on. Now, I hate to say it, Dave and Lenny kind of said a couple of things they'd start doing for treatments, right? It's about getting the cuff strong so that way you can center the humeral head. Dave talked about thoracic mobility and stuff like that. What are we doing? We're decreasing the chances of compression, right? I hate to say it. Like, we just let's just call a spade a spade sometimes. But again, what we're trying to do is take some of the compressive forces off the cuff. So again, are there times where somebody has a complete just tendinopathy type situation that's not from compressive forces? Of course. But I think, you know, we all impinge. Let's get over that. But there's things that we can do that either increase the impingement or increase your body's ability to handle the stresses that come from that impingement, right? And you kind of put that together. Like now you add that with some tensile strengths, um, stress, like Dan said, then now you're kind of getting some double whammies. And that might be why we have some younger generation people with rotator cuff tendinopathy is because they have the normal compressive stresses with tensile stresses from some of their aggressive things that they're doing. And you put those two together. 
together. Maybe that's like that, you know, that whole analogy of like the weed, right? Pulling the weed out of the ground. You don't pull it straight up out of the ground. You kind of go side to side to pull that weed up. Maybe we're getting compression, tension, compression, tension, right? That sort of thing. So um, anyway, so good question, Jackson. I think we didn't talk a ton about treatment. And I think that was intentional because I actually thought from your question that the guidance you actually needed was to take a step back and think it's not that you're necessarily missing anything on your exam. This is a big topic, but it may not necessarily change your treatment approach. So keep, so kind of keep that in mind. Okay. So great question. Great answers from everybody. I appreciate this, uh, this dialogue. I thought this was a good episode. So thanks so much. If you have questions like that, head to micronaut.com, click on that podcast link and ask away and be sure head to iTunes, Spotify, rate us, review us, subscribe to us, keep it coming. So we'll keep doing these episodes for you and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to micronaut.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.